Right, let's get started, shall we? Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Toby Dodge, and I teach at the London School of Economics, but more importantly, I run the Department for International Development funded conflict research program at Iraq within the Middle East Center. So uh, it gives me a great pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Alexander Hamilton, who will be launching his uh, paper this morning, this afternoon, The Political Economy of Economic Policy in Iraq. Alexander, Dr. Alexander will talk for about 20 minutes. He's an economic advisor to the UK Department of International Development, DFID, based in the British Embassy in Baghdad, and leading DFID's uh, economic reform program in Iraq. He completed his uh, PhD in political economy at the University of Oxford, and more importantly, has a postgraduate degree from the London School of Economics as well. So he's doubly smart. His area of expertise is the economics of fragile states. Specifically, he focuses on the application of political economy tools to better understanding and supporting economic reforms in resource-rich, fragile state contexts. So he's just the man to tell us about Iraq. Uh, the paper itself is fascinating. Alexander was uh, good enough to share with me a draft of it, and I was very keen for LSC's uh, conflict research program to publish it, partly because he uses the, the, the work of Douglas North, Joseph Wallace, and Barry Weingast on elite pacts and political settlements to shed some quite fascinating light on the post-2003 political settlement in Iraq. And I think it's from that basis that he's come up with some powerful insights into why this is a central question at the core of his paper, why Iraq's economic reform process has failed to take off. So without further ado, and with an audience uh, growing above 60, I hand over to Dr. Hamilton to explain to us his paper and for us to launch it via the LSE's Zoom site. Thank you, Alexander. Uh, uh, thank you, thank you very much, Toby. And uh, what, what a what, what a great honour it is um, to have the opportunity to um, discuss uh, the uh, political economy of economic policy making uh, at the Middle East Centre um, uh, of the uh, LSE. Um, as uh, as Toby mentioned, I'm I I, I work um, in Iraq trying to support economic policy. And perhaps before going into the sort of formal details of the paper and, and talking you through it, it might be useful just to, to, to give you a little bit of background about how um, we sort of came up with the idea of this paper and, and why it was important. Uh, when I moved out to Baghdad um, it, last year uh, to work on economic reform, uh, as part of sort of the, my background um, work, um, trying to understand where economic reform was, what the opportunities and challenges were, I was kind of struck that, um, uh, you know, since 2003, there'd been a big, uh, uh, there'd been a material change in the political settlement in Iraq. But um, depending on the, on the different indicators, and there are lots of challenges and problems with uh, trying to measure economic reform um, that you look at, the economic reform indicators or economic governance indicators appear to either be stalling or going backwards, um, which was interesting because we know, um, well, the, 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 those of us who are students in political economy assume or like to, like to think we know that um, there is a strong link between the incentives the political settlement creates and um, policy outcomes like economic reform. Um, so this, this kind of empirical puzzle um, got me thinking about what the link between between those two things was, um, uh, and also uh, very cognizant of the fact that you know since 2003 there have been uh, concerted efforts by the international community in particular to try and um, support economic um, policy making in Iraq, uh, and many of these reform projects had failed to yield the kind of outcomes uh, that, that that we may have hoped for. Um, so that was that was kind of the motivation behind the the, the research project. Um, before launching into to, to how I, um, we went about looking at this um, the the link between political settlements and economic performance, I think it's also important to caveat. And I'm very conscious 
uh, there are probably lots of area specialists here, that this is trying to, the, the limitations of the research questions are that we're trying to look very specifically at, you know, one particular factor that affects economic um, reform and governance. There are many, many other factors that also have an effect, and I'm sure we could, we could, we could list them, um, we could list a few just off the top of our heads, but the the idea here is is very much a focus on on the link between a substantive change in the political settlement and economic reform outcomes. Uh, but just being aware that there are many other things uh, that can affect uh, economic outcomes. In fact, since this research, one of the areas I've been thinking about is a link between Iraq's demography and economy, and um, obviously economic governance can be affected by many other things, including ideational factors like um, uh, that have influenced state capacity and so on. And this isn't an argument that this is the only thing that affects economic governance, but um, one I think that merits um, uh, more examination. Um, so I guess given, given the two sort of high level em em empirical puzzles we have, the change in the political incentive structure, but the stalling or even reversal of economic reform indicators, um, I, I, I fell back on my um, political economics literature. Um, and there's a, there's a rich literature in political science and political economy um, that suggests that um, if you conceptualize of regimes on a, on a scale where on the one end you've got sort of stable authoritarian regimes and on the other end you've got stable sort of liberal democracies and, and in between you have um, varieties of hybrid regimes that are partially open um, um, partially non-open, uh, then generally speaking, the countries that tend to sort of perform worst in terms of corruption indicators, in terms of propensity to torture their own citizens, are not actually the really stable autocracies, or because they can usually they usually have sort of like inbuilt um, ability to, to to deal with things. It's actually the middling countries that have some openness or increased openness because they're also the more fragile um, political settlements. Um, and given that kind of um, the existence of this literature, I'm thinking, well, does that, how, how does that apply uh, in, in the case of Iraq, if at all? And there's a particular substrand of this political economy literature that I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar with, um, which is um, uh, the sort of uh, typology and in institutional economics developed by Douglas North, who, who came up with his, um, you know, uh, um, um, limited actors order model. Um, which I, 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 know, I know there are, you know, which has its, its limitation that I'm, I'm sure uh, Toby is, uh, is, is, uh, is able to point some of those out. But the interesting thing about this, um, this, uh, th this approach is that it, it tries to link changes in the political settlement and especially this, the political settlement amongst elites, the existence of economic rents um, from the state, which is obviously very important given that uh, Iraq is one of the most oil revenue dependent countries in the world, and um, the changing incentives for decision making. And uh, the sort of limited access order basically says, I mean, this is a very, very uh, high level summary, that in, in, in contexts like Iraq, where you don't necessarily, the state doesn't have an MRI uh, monopoly on violence, and there are different groups, different elite groups that can potentially um, uh, uh, disrupt the peace. Um, one way of, of creating cooperation amongst the elite, not necessarily eliminating violence in society, but creating cooperation amongst the elite, is to configure the political settlement so that they all get some economic rents, uh, in Iraq's case, oil rents. And because they all kind of get their share of the pie, that, that creates stability. Uh, now, there's a refinement of this model um, that uh, Douglas North actually assigned Iraq post-2003 Iraq to, which is a fragile limited access order, which is a limited access order that also, um, where the, uh, the, 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 um, the different groups that can disturb the peace can't just disturb the generation of economic rents, but also can potentially destabilize the state. Um, so um, what that does um, in the sort of, in the framework is it makes decision makers very, very short termist. So um, while all, um, you know, while, while uh, different elite groups may have uh, incentives to try and grow the economy uh, when they have longer time horizons, as a time horizon, as there's increased uncertainty about just basic political stability or how long they'll be able to stay in position of power, they tend to just focus much more uh, uh, on what they can get today and what they can um, provide their sort of constituents or supporters today. Um, and uh, basically what this 
predicts or what this, this says is if you move from a limited access order to a more fragile limited access order, even though you may have more political openness in the sense that there are more elite groups uh, involved in decision making than there were before, um, the actual the decision making will become less programmatic, less focused on long term uh, goals, including like long term economic reform, and much more focused on um, kind of providing short term returns to powerful vested interests. You know, uh, after outlining this framework, we we sort of in the paper we look at um, you know how how this fits what's happened in Iraq. So I, I'm not going to go into the details of the evolution of Iraq's uh, post uh, 2003 political settlement, especially when we've got Toby Dodge here. But um, you know what was interesting to 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 to, to note is obviously after 2003 and especially after 2005 with the new constitution and its consolidation. By 2011, you have you know you do have a, an influx of new groups of, of groups that were previously uh, perhaps politically marginalised coming in. But what then happened was through the new constitution and the uh, development of the um, sectarian quotas, is these groups you created a system whereby the the success in parliament of of a, of a certain group guaranteed uh, basically. Uh, place uh, allocation of ministerial and civil and, and senior level um, civil service places um, and the sort of the, the raison d'etre of this allocation was to basically be able to have access to oil rents that could be used to create jobs for supporters um, which is which is kind of what you would expect if um, the fragile limited access order modus operandi was um, was 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 kind of correct, and um, again, measuring economic governance is 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 quite difficult. Um, but um, looking at different sources or different measures of economic governance, you can kind of see um, at the high level that there is that there does appear to be um, a, a link, a strong link between uh, what the, the the change in the political settlement and incentives created after two thousand and three. And and what's happened to some of these variables? So in in the paper in the in the first diagram we uh, look at Iraq's relative ranking in um, in several high level governance indicators on uh, regulatory quality, control of corruption, and political stability. Um, and what you see is that um, I, I mean this is perhaps the, the least clear, least convincing empirical evidence, but you see after 2003 there is a visible shift, actually improvement. In two of these indicators, but then after, um, especially after 2011, with a full consolidation of the post 2015 regime, you see a subsequent deterioration, um, and that's um, and that's confirmed um, more convincingly, I think, by other indicators. So, in the second figure in the um, in the paper, we look at Iraq's relative position in doing business, um, and it actually started in 2003. It was it ranked better than the mean average and neighboring Jordan, and but then after two thousand and three, you kind of and especially after two thousand and five, you kind of see that that changes over and Iraq falls below the mean average and below neighboring Jordan. And now these are sort of quite high level impressionistic, uh, you know, bivariate uh, associations. Um, I think what's what's kind of more convincing is when you look at um, the sort of composition of government expenditure. Um, Iraq's um, reconstruction needs, especially after um, Daesh went up in at the Kuwait conference two years ago, um, there was an estimated eighty billion dollars worth of investments needed um, to keep the you know to 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 ensure reconstruction. And yet, uh, and this is before we even factor in the COVID nineteen and what's happened since, uh, the proportion of the budget going to long term investments has been going down uh, quite materially um, uh, for, for the whole of this period. And what has been going up is uh, current expenditures. Now, current expenditures include very useful things like pensions and salaries for public sector workers, um, but they can also include things like pensions and salaries for public sector workers who don't necessarily have proper jobs but have been given government jobs as um, um, uh, as part of this kind of clientelist system. Uh, and if you unpack that further, if you look at, okay, current expenditures have been going up, um, what I think, where, where I think you see the effect of the, the sort of change in political settlement and incentives quite spectacularly is in the fourth diagram 
of the paper where um, you, 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 we see that in 2003, um, less than 10% of the state budget went to public sector salaries and pensions, and there are about uh, eight to 900,000 um, public sector workers. By 2015, 40% uh, of the state budget was going to current expenditures, even though the uh, need for investment was increasing. Um, and there were at least 3 million um, public sector workers um, uh, at hand. And it, it's very difficult to estimate the number of public sector workers, because what's also happened at this time is uh, different ministries have basically been able to expand their payrolls and uh, the Ministry of Finance only finds out about two or three years later. Um, uh, according to some recent estimates, Iraq would now need uh, maybe um, an oil price of $55 a day um, to, just, um, to just be able to pay current expenditures. So um, the... I, I guess the, the utility of of, of, um, of of the model or the paper was to try and bring together these diff, disparate empirical findings. We've got a change in the political settlement, including a more, you know, the introduction of, of definitely much more competitive elections than before. Um, but we also have this paradox of increasingly, especially fiscally unsustainable economic policy making, um, a lack of diversification of the economy, um, and investment both in physical and economic governance infrastructure and again this isn't this isn't actually something that is this is kind of well known in the literature so even if you look for example at uh, countries um, during the third wave of democratization so spain portugal and greece after they democratized in the 1970s you did see this expansion of democratization tends to um, uh, at least in the short run increase access to the mechanisms of, of corruption and rent um, distribution to different groups um, but then, interestingly, you, you, you saw that being curtailed, whereas it, I think in Iraq's case, we're, we're still very much, although, again, there are many other things affecting um, uh, economic policy, we're, we're very much at the stage where the, uh, the political sentiment is incentivizing ever-increasingly uh, fiscally short-termist um, uh, decision-making, which then begs the question, of course, again, because my... My, my remit was to try and think about, well, what does that mean for supporting economic reform? Um, for us to really think about um, uh, economic reforms that can, uh, that can actually achieve something within a very constra constrained political settlement that incentivizes very short-term short decision-making, even worse or more short-term decision-making than before, because obviously uh, nobody's arguing that... Uh, you know, the, the, the previous modus operandi wasn't extremely corrupt. Um, uh, it, it, it's just how, how do we make, um, how do we try and do economic reforms when the incentives for short-termism have got even worse than they were before? They were already bad to begin with. Um, and so then the paper explores in a, in a somewhat speculative fashion where some of those areas might be. So rather than try, um, as, as the international community had done before, to support kind of big changes, um, I mean, the we, we, um, international community has spent a lot of money um, and time uh, directly trying to sort of improve public financial management systems, um, you know, um, do things with the payroll. Um, and the only times there's been movement on that has really been when oil prices collapsed and the government had to go to the IMF. It then began implementing a program, oil prices went up, the political incentive to the fiscal constraint that was perhaps... Um, making it difficult to continue the previous Moses operandi disappeared and the government basically walked away from the IMF program. Um, so in this context, what, what are the things we can do? Um, and I think the conclusion that the paper comes to is that um, working around the political settlement, so trying to support things that don't directly attack the fact that most government spending is going to be misused uh, to, to um, support or nourish clientelist networks, but perhaps trying to work to support private sector development, uh, possibly um, uh, access to finance. Again, these, these will also do touch on vested interests. So obviously regulatory um, nuisance creates um, opportunities for petty corruption and so on. But then the, but the, these might, you, we might get more traction in these areas rather than directly as we have tried before uh, to, to deal with some of the big economic issues directly. Um, 
because we have this basically um, self-reinforcing uh, equilibrium. So the paper kind of ends with on a on a on an optimistic note that there are potentially things to do, and 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 many of these things are around trying to diversify the economy uh, because of Iraq's uh, large youth bulge and population. I mean, oil rents are just not going to be able to. Um, provide jobs in the public sector because they're insensitive to population growth. So eventually there will there will be a sort of fiscal reckoning because even if oil prices go up, population growth is so much faster that the, this model will become unsustainable and at some point have to change. Uh, but we're not there yet. So in the meantime, um, uh, trying to trying to explore areas or ways in which other sectors like agriculture. Uh, tourism um, or the sort of business environment can be helped are probably more fruitful than than trying to tackle the the sort of big uh, fiscal um, uh, um, challenges um, that Iraq faced because of the of the change in uh, political settlement. So I think I'm 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 Toby. I'm just under twenty minutes, so I will I will I will stop stop there. Thank you um, all very much for for, for listening in. Brilliant. Now we have uh, 77 people listening to Alexander's great presentation. I'm sure by now you're all Zoom veterans. So just two things to, to state. One out of that 77 people, uh, we need lots of questions to drive a debate forward. And I thank Gillian, Ahmed and Saifuddin for already asking questions. And two, as I should have said at the beginning, this event is being recorded. So it's very much on the record. So while 76, 75 of you are thinking about profound questions to ask using the question and answer box at the bottom of your Zoom function. I'll sum up what I think was Alexander's big messages and then I'll ask him the question. Firstly, the very nature, the first big point was the very nature of the political settlement. The elite pact that came together in 2003 used access to state resources, rents, to tie them to get to together and give them an interest in, in, in downscaling their competitive violence and upscaling their collaboration. But that, the second big argument, that led to an investment in short-term expenditure, wages and rents, not long-term investment. And I think uh, the data, the World Bank data that Alexander quotes in his paper, 10% of the budget in 2003 went on wages, up to 40% by 2014-15, with 3 million people on the public sector payroll, is both incredibly powerful, uh, evidence to back his, his uh, argument, but quite shocking, to be frank. And then thirdly, the optimistic policy bit at the end that we all like to see that gives us some direction for moving forward, where might interventions come that could marginalize or reduce this negative dynamic. And Alexander stresses, I think, access to finance, funding for the private sector as a way of expanding a productive area of the economy uh, away from this kind of black hole, this, this sucking out of state resources into intra-elite rents and wages. So I think that's incredibly uh, insightful using the work of uh, Douglas North and political settlements to, to shed a powerful analytical light on Iraq. And it was, um, it's, that's the, the, the question I'll ask while, before moving on to others. So you make a big point about moving from a limited access order onto a fragile limited access order. And you make the point in, in a, a very clear uh, um, graphic that that fragile limited access order has actually institutionalized that it's basically stabilized and you put the data around 2010, it could, it could have been earlier. And, and clearly that elite pact or political settlement has delivered uh, peaceful transitions of power in 2005, 2014, 2018, and May 2020. So can we describe it still as a fragile limited access order that continues to oversee the peaceful handover of power? Thank you, Toby. No, that, that's, a, that, that's a great question. Um, uh, and uh, one of the limitations of the, of, of the framework is that it's, it's, it's not always, it's, it's, it's perhaps sometimes good at describing or bring, bringing together disparate facts. So the, the fact that, um, you know, you can have a small group basically rise up quite quickly and destabilize 
uh, a country and you can link that up to the political states settlement and also how policy making is made. What um, the, the framework is left with that is, is thinking about when exactly has, is there a transition um, from fragile limited to limited access and then eventually the, the sort of um, where, where um, according to the framework we want to be, which is the open access order, which is um, the, the sort of um, where you have both um, where you have incentives for long-term decision-making. Um, and, and, and it's difficult, I think, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly where Iraq is. I mean, as you said, we, we have had these um, successful uh, transfers of power. The, I, the, the sort of the, the key cri criteria for saying that you've shifted from federal limited access order to limited access order, um, which is difficult to prove with, without um, uh, um, uh, an event is, if um, a part of the elite feels excluded from the political order, as you know, um, certain um, 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 groups did before 2014, and they um, uh, begin a, a process of um, insurrection or violence, does that threaten the very foundations of the state? And in the absence of basically external intervention, could they bring about? Um, 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 a, a change or capture of at least part of the territory of the state. So uh, obviously that's difficult to say where Iraq is because we obviously wouldn't want to try and instigate that just to see whether where we, where, whether we were there. But exit from the fragile limited the limited access order. Uh, the, the distinction is is that you have basically states where if an elite doesn't get its way, it can't, uh, in the absence of external support, bring the country uh, the country's institutions completely down. Um, and uh, I, I guess that, that's, that's perhaps a, a question for, for sort of more the security experts to answer, but that, that would be the criterion according to the, to the, the um, political access order framework. Excellent, so we, have now, we now have 12 questions and I'll, I'll take them in the order uh, that they come to reward those who, who uh, uh, early uh, inputers. And the first question is from Gillian who says, in whose interests is long-term economic reform? Reform uh, the reform of the banking system, ease of doing business, diversifying the economy, regeneration, etc. And this goes to the heart of the model. I think is it not in the specific interests of the various elites and stakeholders in power who will drive through those reforms? So, in in short, why hasn't uh, the elite got an interest in long-term political reform? Take it away. Yes. Yeah, no, no, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and obviously, yes, you can get economic reform that isn't, I mean, um, that, that, that isn't necessarily inclusive. It doesn't, it doesn't reach um, many people. I mean, we've seen, we, we have seen that in other neighboring countries where you've had, you know, uh, certain types of economic liberalization that haven't yielded um, welfare gains for the majority of the population. Um, I mean, I think I think the one thing I would say is it's in no one's long-term interest to have a, a completely unsustainable model where you have underinvestment in public services, roads, uh, you know, no access to, um, you know, um, difficulty in generating electricity for, you know, um, for, for some time during the day, uh, and uh, and a situation that that is 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 fiscally unsustainable. Uh, what what um, successful or what uh, a sort of a, a successful economy for Iraq look like? It's, it maybe the interpretations are different, um, but um, it, it 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 needs to be. The current model is is definitely not sustainable given you know the the probability of lower long term secular decline in oil prices and population growth. You have 300,000 young people entering the labor market every year, um, even if, uh, you know, according to the IMF's projections before COVID-19, uh, even if you assume that oil production were up 20% and oil prices only went down 10% by 2025, which might be optimistic, I mean, it, it depends. The, the ability, the, the per capita ability to just fund jobs um, in the public sector to keep people employed is going down. So I guess if if uh, if you if at the very least you say economic reform should be about people being able to, um, you know, at least an increasing proportion of people being able to have some kind of jobs, uh, decent jobs that aren't uh, that aren't going to disappear if oil rents disappear, uh, then then we have a we have a, a big problem. That's kind of very minimalist way of answering the question. And then I think the second thing about um, 
the incentives is, I mean, the problem you have, I mean, a lot of political economies are on the notion that rationally it's in everyone's long-term collective interest potentially for, you know, Iraq to, to prosper, to have, you know, obviously if there's rebuilding of infrastructure, there's provision of public services, people are educated, that's how you can diversify the economy. There's more, there's more, um, there's more economic growth all around. The problem is, is the individual level, the incentives you have, especially if you if you feel the more insecure you feel in your position today, the less likely you are to try and invest in the future. And that that holds true, I guess, to some extent for not just households, but um, policymakers. So if if you're, you know, a, a member of a, um, an elite and you're bargaining or you have a position uh, in, in government, if you don't feel secure about your position, that you'll be there tomorrow or the day after to perhaps reap the political benefits of building a road or supporting long-term economic growth, you're more likely to um, to be incentivized to perhaps see what you can take out of the system today, um, the, the more uncertain you are about where you'll be tomorrow. So it's, it's that gap between individually what makes sense um, for decision makers to do and collectively what is in, in, in their interest. Excellent. So the next uh, question is from another super smart economist, Ahmed Tabachali from AUIS. And his, he's revisiting in his question, uh, recent work he's done on the effects of the current crisis on the Mahasasa system. So he says, the current crisis is causing a rethink. The current government is considering some major cuts to spending, uh, pu public payroll as part of its restructuring. It's meeting... Uh, it's meeting pushback from Parliament, as expected, as your model would predict. But there are no choice. There's no other choices given this oil and revenue crisis. Do you think the model that you've taken from North et al. allows for a change like this, the, the cutting of public sector, sector uh, uh, spending, or the reverse? So, in short, to sum that up, can Mustafa Khadami? push through the reform that he's promised or is because of the nature of the political settlement he risks state collapse or greater violence if he does uh, another great question i mean i think um again the the, the you know it, it's difficult to to predict um really complex political situations and i i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to sort of say for for, for definite one way i think we do have a really interesting example of what happened last time obviously um, one of the ways the system can come crashing down is if the rents disappear and in Iraq's case if oil prices go down the rents disappear and that forces the system to do something that it wouldn't ordinarily do so it's like an exogenous shock that almost proves the mechanics of the system that exists in its absence. Um, we know um, before when oil prices went down and the government went the, the previous government went to the IMF the IMF basically said that you know the it's really, really important to focus on, on, on fiscal issues on the size of the public sector. Um, and then oil prices went up and basically that program was abandoned and there was a reversion back to, you know, business as usual. Um, so I would almost say that the, the fact that there's an exogenous shock that affects the rents and that changes the, 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 the behavior of politicians is, is, is kind of almost proves that the, the system, as long as you have the rents, as long as you have all the ingredients of the system there, um, the, the fact that when you take one of the ingredients away, there's a change in behavior is, is kind of supportive of, 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 of that model. Um, what happens in, in the future and with the current government is, 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 is difficult to, 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 to predict. Um, uh, you know, I, I suspect I, I, the, 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 there will be the most, um, the, the most strident opposition against the government will, will come from, um, the, from, from Parliament. Um, but also, um, I think the uh, it will also depend on on oil prices because obviously the the model assumes and requires the existence of of basically rents that, that you can divvy up. So if the rents disappear, things will have to change. Now, what that evolution will look like and whether the current government will be able to um, uh, achieve the reforms it wants to make that's that's very difficult to predict. But the model does basically say once you take away that key ingredient, it will force change in the political settlement. Uh, now, whether oil prices will stay low. Uh, low enough to, to see through what, what that um, means in the case of Monirak, that's, that's another question. Um, the other thing I think that may, that will eventually uh, force a reckoning is, is, all, is Iraq's kind of demographic momentum. So some of the subsequent work I've, I've, I've done um, after this paper is looking at the effect of uh, Iraq has 
I, I think, the fastest or the second fastest population growth rate in the MENA region. Um, its demographic profile is more akin to um, your average sub-Saharan African country rather than your MENA country. And even if you assume kind of oil production is, goes up by 20% in, by 2025 and oil prices only go down by 10%, um, you would get kind of per capita cuts in public expenditure because it's all derived from oil rather than population growth, kind of equivalent to, um, and I'm, I'm, citing, I'm, I'm citing these numbers off the top of my head, so they might be slightly off, uh, you know, 9% of the health budget. So there's eventually in the, in the not so distant future, given this momentum, you will get a reckoning because the oil rents just won't be able to go further. But then what that leads to um, and whether that, you know, that, that, that is what, it creates the incentive to push Iraq further down both political and economic reform or regress back into instability. That is, uh, that, that is a, a, a million dollar question I, I, I wouldn't feel too qualified to answer. Excellent. And uh, we will encourage Alexander to publish his next paper on the demographic, the dynamic, the demographic, uh, the downside of this huge demographic problem with the School of Economics Middle East Centre. Right. So the next question is from another friend of ours, Saifuddin Al-Daraji, who says, in your opinion, and this is quite interesting, in your opinion, are state institutions able to implement economic reform and handle its consequences? And that might be able, are they coherent? and strong enough, but also given the Wakala system, the Mahasasa system has politicized uh, and, dare we say, uh, brought senior civil servants into the patronage system, they themselves are disincentivized from reforming. So is there the incentive within the state institutions, but also more intriguingly, is there the capacity? Are they coherent and strong enough to do what is required? Um, yeah, and um, so so that's that that that's really interesting. I mean, I think um, yeah, I think I think the the politicalization of of the sort of um, senior civil service roles is is perhaps again it's a function of this of 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 of, of, of this of this problem um, uh, in that it then creates an, an incentive that the primary focus of these in, individuals um, is is more about um, making sure that they that they adhere to and support. Um, the uh, interests of those who install them in those positions, rather than necessarily the sort of interest or um, of, or the mandate of the institutions that they serve. Um, uh, so, so I, I think that does create problems, and I think also the other effect that has is um, what kind of coordination you get across government, because usually to do reforms you need coordination in, but between different ministries. Um, and uh, when when you when you shift towards a, a sort of a limited access or a fragile limited access order, you also lose if the focus is very much on you know this 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 part of this ministry or this part of the ministry are the fees of this party, this other part of the ministry or this other ministry are a fee for another party. Then what incentives are there for for like long term joined up collaboration, which is difficult um, in 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 most cases. Um, uh, to actually drive through reforms that require, for example, uh, different ministries to collaborate. So it creates, it, uh, the system would create ad additional kind of challenges uh, to, uh, to, to coordination, which even in the best public administrations are difficult to do. Excellent. Now, the next question is, is very straightforward. And it says, um, if you were advising the new uh, finance minister, who's also alumni of LSE, so he's got to be smart, uh, what would you ask him? to do immediately to alleviate the dire monetary situation? Uh, gosh, some really, really, really difficult questions. Um, uh, I mean, I think, uh, I, you know, the, the, the current government um, is, uh, is working, the, 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 they're trying to do um, a lot of reforms in, um, in many different sectors, which given Iraq's problems is, is, is probably a, uh, as a sensible idea. I mean, they do because of the shortfall in 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 demand. I think that they have to look at expenditures. I what I would say is uh, don't don't forget the other things that may not have an immediate fiscal effect, but in the long run um, are more likely to um, allow for the transformation of the Iraq economy. So um, I I know the government is is quite keen uh, to. Um, to try and uh, do things to diversify the economy, uh, and these won't immediately solve the fiscal the fiscal issues. But now that there is this window 
uh, where, 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 where you've got more actors mobilized and understanding the need to do something about long-term economic reform. There's also the opportunity to push some of these other important reforms. And I would also say the importance of, 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 of robust safety nets. So um, if Iraq, you know, if, if Iraq does end up going through a fiscal adjustment, this will cause economic dislocation and pain and, uh, um, and, and actually having robust um, safety nets and making sure that the safety net is there is, is, is important. Um, uh, most, you know, all IMF programs nowadays actually protect um, certain elements of social protection and health system um, support. So, um, you know, it, 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 makes, it makes sense and it will help um, make economic reforms that make cause short-term um, dislocation um, more palatable. So don't, don't, don't ignore both long-term reforms that don't immediately solve the fiscal crisis, but also don't forget about social safety net and resilience, because that is what may help make some of the, some of the tough fiscal choices more, more palatable. So now we have two questions that look at the external dynamics. The first one is it goes to the, uh, the North model and says, um, does the model take account of external factors, foreign actors affecting the political settlement and all the elite packs? So, so the, the 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 baseline, the vanilla model, is is more about the sort of internal, um, it, you know, the the internal dynamics. Um, I mean, there are different ways that you can you can refine the model to to take into account um, kind of uh, exogenous shocks uh, or events. Um, uh, so so the, the the initial model doesn't doesn't look at that. It looks at what's happening. Um, uh, in the absence of external shocks, but then it does allow you, because the model says you basically need these ingredients, uh, you can then see what happens if there are external shocks that take away some of these ingredients, like for example, oil price shock causes the, the rents that are that make the system run disappear. What 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 then it does allow you to, to sort of anticipate um, theoretically what might happen uh, to 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 the model. Um, and I'm sure there are um, some uh, so, some graduate game theorists has probably come up with a with a really elaborate model that looks at um, you know the effect of uh, different types of exogenous change and or foreign interventions or what have you on on uh, on the limited access order. But the, the vanilla model doesn't. But it does allow you to think through what happens when you get exogenous shocks. Excellent. Thank you. I, 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 as we know, that one external player, the United States, played a central role in imposing this political settlement on Iraq, and another external actor, Iran, seems very keen that it continues to flourish. I note with interest that Secretary of State Pompeo called for the end of uh, the sectarianization of Iraq in a recent, uh, recent uh, press statement, and indeed that the U.S. themselves are sanctioning uh, key players in Iraq for their alleged involvement in corruption. But the next question is not on that, it's actually on how, what can be done in concrete terms to incentivize external investment in the private sector beyond the oil industry? So um, I, I think trying to focus on, on, on reforms that, um, that make the, the business environment, these aren't easy, they're, they're not easy in, in contexts where you don't have oil rents, they're even more difficult in contexts where you do. But um, I, I guess the, the slightly good news is, good news, is that um, try, trying to make it easier to, um, uh, to, 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 to do business in Iraq doesn't directly attack the fact that oil rents are used in the way that they do. Um, so uh, working on things like, for example, one of the things Iraq doesn't have is it doesn't have a formal mechanism for reviewing how new regulations or decrees uh, promulgated by the Council of Ministers, how they um, affect or existing um, rules and regulations. So then you get regulatory um, uh, you get um, lack of regulatory clarity, which creates makes it difficult to know what the legal environment is, and creates opportunities for petty um, for petty corruption. Um, so there there are lots of there are lots of um, low hanging fruit like that, low, technical low hanging fruit. It's still politically difficult to do, um, but there there are reforms um, like that that don't directly attack the big. The, the, the sort of the big core of the political settlement, but where you might be able to chip away. Another um, set of reforms around banking, I mean, Iraq, um, for a middle-income country has a, you know, a, a, um, uh, the, the, there are lots of areas where technically you could improve um, 
banking um, expand the um, the credit rating system, for example, like has been done successfully in other MENA countries, which allows people to have a credit score, so then they can uh, potentially take out loans. Uh, again, that doesn't directly sort of uh, um, disturb the political settlement, but that's uh, access to finance is the sort of one big thing, uh, although it's quite a dated survey of, of firms in Iraq, what the sort of biggest constraints to um, development was access to finance is one of them in Iraq is, is very atypical for a middle-income country in in the um, in the state of its core banking system, um, so 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 there are there are things around um, technical banking reforms to improve access to credit, um, you know, developing of a collateral registry, some 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 quite uns uh, unsexy things, politically unsexy things um, that could actually make it easier. Um, there are lots of also, um, I mean, uh, tourism long term potential growth area in Iraq, but there are lots of Saddami or regulations um, that were brought in, you know, when uh, there was a fear that um, tourism would be, um, you know, a, a source where um, the CIA could get into Iraq that prohibit, make it extremely difficult to start a tourist um, business that still haven't been revoked. Um, so, 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 so there are there are lots of there are lots of things um, like that, that that don't deserve oil rents that you, that you could do. Um, sorry, I, do, I don't know if I'm being specific enough. You did ask for specific examples. Hopefully, those um, the, the, those two examples uh, uh, give you a flavour of other things that you can do. There are lots of other examples that we can discuss as well. No, I think that's 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 very specific, and is it, the, the the central hypothesis of your paper, which you've just put very nicely. It's the unsexy things. At, at, at the fringes of the state economy in the private sector that can actually uh, drive this process of reform forward because they don't challenge uh, the elite pact and key players in it. However, that begs another couple of questions just put by uh, Laura James and then Ahmed again. I mean, Laura says, do you have any thoughts on the extent to which the private sector has already been co-opted by the same elite patronage networks as the private sector and whether this is something that could be addressed and i was thinking of a whole series of startup initiatives that may become the target of predatory actors with elite contacts in in the iraqi economy have you seen evidence of that and if so how would that affect your model um, yeah, so so uh, in uh, um, uh, as in most uh, in most countries like this, you um, you you would get. So let's assume that you did you did you did um, it, you did get a, a growth in the in the in the private sector. Um, I, I mean, right now Iraq is is again even for by MENA standards is um, is is uh, is quite extreme. It's not necessarily atypical, but quite extreme in the the extent to which we have lots and lots of really small informal enterprises, a couple of large oil um, uh, oil associated um, uh, enterprises, and not much in between. Um, I, I'm 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 sure that if you did if you did manage to get a growth of MSMEs, you would you would you that would create new opportunities perhaps for for corruption um, and extortion and so on. Um, but the the point is is like the pie has gotten bigger, so you you would still you'd get co-option, you'd get you know new types of corruption. But the point is you would also have um, you know you would also have some growth that would go to you'd have people with with jobs. So it's not it's not it's not that it's not so much that um, you know if you did grow the private sector, you'd you'd, you'd have this sort of new clean. Um, uh, sector that that was unaffected by the political settlement. It would be, and um, you'd have kind of predatory entrepreneurs uh, coming in to take advantage of that. But as long as those um, the, 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 those additional costs weren't uh, too burdensome, you, you'd still be in a better place than you are today, um, which is where you 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 the the sort of the the the, the formal private sector is, is is very 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 small and therefore isn't isn't providing uh, at least some opportunities as well as opportunities for corruption but also some opportunities for livelihoods and jobs um, that you might get in in, uh, in other places excellent now this is quite a technical question so what do you see as the growth potential for Iraq's digital economy which is for example being supported by the World Bank's Mashrek 2.0 initiative so, so I, I, I wouldn't as uh, um, um, uh, so um, th th there are some, there's some really interesting cases of um, of using the digital economy um, to um, 
circumvent or reduce the probability of, of petty corruption. Um, I mean, we've seen, for example, in, in, other, in, a, in another very different but highly corrupt context um, in, the, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, we've seen the establishment of um, uh, one-stop shops to register a business where everything is done electronically um, has cut the sort of uh, opportunity for petty corruption because you can track applications and make sure that they get done in time. So in a sense, you make it very difficult for an official um, who, who um, to, 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 to ask for, um, for, 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 for bribes. So I think there are lots of opportunities to use uh, um, um, digitalization and IT to kind of uh, make, make things simpler. It's not the only thing, it's not a panacea, but there are uh, lots of lot, lots of opportunities. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to to speak for for the for the banks program because I'm I'm not uh, I, I'm not an expert. But um, you know we have seen um, that you can use again these are sort of some uh, uh, unsexy kind of IT or or process solutions that increase digitalization as a way of limiting opportunities for certain types, mostly street level um, corruption. So. Um, I, I mean, I think I think that's that's very important. Again, it would be transformational if we could uh, do do things uh, like introduce a you know a, a single government account, um, public financial management systems in, in, in Iraq. But that has been tried a lot, and you know that 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 comes with uh, with uh, you know with, with implications around transparency that uh, are not conducive to um, the, 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 the 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 use of um, or rents uh, as as they are today. I'm going to Jim Baban's come up with a really interesting question. He says basically you were talking about three million people on the government payroll in 2015. He's saying there are there's talk about the number has increased exponentially. To, it may be as, as many as eight million, and no government system in the world could sustain that. That would be one side of the question. I uh, those of us who are old enough to remember. Remember the economic uh, reforms pushed through by Margaret Thatcher in this country after 1979 and the absolute uh, uh, the, the damage that caused to the social fabric of the country to, to the extent that it was indicated that what Thatcher was doing was building a free market through extending a strong state. So that those two ends of, of the question would indicate, is Iraq strong enough to, to manage the social unrest and political upheavals that a cut in the public sector wages bill uh, may may uh, end up with may cause. Yeah, so so absolutely. So, I mean, first first of all, it is um, you know that there are there are many times, and you know, I'm uh, uh, where the expansion of the public sector is actually a good thing. It's a proxy for increased state capacity, and you know, having a really um, uh, uh, like professional. Uh, um, public sector would be, you know, it's absolutely vital to, to making Iraq Iraq work, work better and, and deliver for for its own citizens. Um, I mean, the, the the problem you have is to what extent has this expansion resulted in, uh, you know, the productive um, use of um, people's time to improve service delivery, um, improve the, the 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 goods and services the state provides. Uh, citizens, and I, I think in Iraq's case, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to say that there's been a, a commensurate increase in in the in the in the quality of, of, of government outputs. Uh, but it does again. The, the the interesting thing about the limited access orders is it, it is it it really kind of highlights the extent to which it's not in anyone's interest to be in a in a in a situation where you're creating more jobs that are essentially at some point if oil prices don't recover unsustained fiscally like unsustainable on the other hand at no point in time in is there an incentive not to do this it's kind of like me trying to go on a diet and always having chocolate uh, cookies in the cupboard it's just not going to happen um it's in my long-term interest but there's no point at which my my short-term incentives align so that uh i i, I don't i don't keep munching away at them and and um there are several potential theoretical ways that Iraq could could evolve out of this. Uh, one, one is 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 trying to sort of manage slowly. So um, usually, I think it'd be extremely difficult to sort of just you know um, you know cut public sector jobs. Or uh, but you know you can you can introduce rules of attrition. Um, you can um, so that you know uh, as people retire, you don't replace them um, as as much. And again, but again, the important thing is is that then you need to. For that to be politically viable, you also need to have um, other sources of employment. Uh, and one of the big problems in Iraq today is that uh, 
formally, you have the public sector, and then you have informal um, economic activity. And the oil sector is big, but it, I mean, oil is, 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 doesn't generate a huge amount of jobs directly because it's a very, it's a very capital intensive industry. So um, when you've got 300,000 young people entering the labor market every year, um, that, that, the, 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 the situation, the dynamics are, are, are unsustainable, but how, how that will manifest itself in the long run um, is, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, is, dif is difficult to predict. Excellent. So we've got three rather um, technical questions, or three empirically rich questions. Could you please evaluate the economic performance of the Kurdish regional government vis-a-vis -vis the Iraqi central government from 2003 until the uh, independence referendum? Do you have any data on corruption levels enabling us to compare and contrast the KRG, the Kurdish regional government's political settlement, with Baghdad's political settlement and its economic and political performance? So what's what are the commonalities and difference between the Kurdish regional government's economic policy, its political settlement, and that in Baghdad? So, so just to caveat that, that's not something I have uh, looked at in detail. Um, so I, I, I can't, I'm afraid, answer that, do, do, do full justice to that question. Um, um, the, there's also issues around um, uh, access to data and um, obviously sensitivities around that um, that make it difficult to know um, exactly um, uh, what the sort of budget process and allocation is in the in 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 the KRI vis-a-vis -vis, um, Iraq proper, uh, but I, I would say all the evidence suggests it's, it's um, the differences are ones of of of, of degree. I mean, uh, the KRI also has a very big uh, and expanded uh, payroll, um, public sector payroll. Um, uh, again, I, 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 don't, I don't want to comment too much because I, I haven't looked at the data, um, uh, the, the extent to which is a, a diversified economy in the KRI vis-a-vis -vis other parts of Iraq is, um, you know, that, that, that's possible. Um, but um, uh, I, I think um, w whatever the difference are, they're ones of degree rather than um, massive difference in, in substance. But uh, yeah, just uh, again, caveating that, that that's not something I've looked at in, in detail, I'm afraid, but a really good question. Excellent. Yes. And the, the, the next one, another technical question. Do you think Iraq is in a position to issue sovereign development bonds in the international financial markets at a reasonable cost? Um, I, I, as, I, as I'm not a financial economist, and uh, I, uh, I think um, the, uh, the, the sort of the, the, the current uh, situation is so uncertain, I'm, go I'm, going to, I'm going to duck, duck, duck that question. Um, uh, but but um, yes, it, it's it's quite difficult. I think it's it's become increasingly difficult overall um, to to sort of predict um, what's happening with the with the stock market right now and COVID. We we we've got quite an interesting, unique black swan event happening globally. And as I'm not an expert in finance, I'm I'm, I'm just I'm going to duck that question if that's all right. Okay, no, sure, that's very honest of you. Um, now, another friend of the Middle East Center, LSE, Kawa Hassan, has, has asked, um, see, the, the currency auction by the central bank, uh, I think, has been a long-running source of what he called uh, systemic or systematic uh, corruption, structural corruption. Do you see any prospect for reforming this? I mean, so um, again, um, not an area that I've looked at recently. Obviously, the um, there has been a because there's been a, um, a, a, a in, in the long run a, a change and a reduction in the in the in the price differences. The the um, returns of basically the establishment of lots and lots of uh, what were effectively shell banks uh, to take advantage of the of the of the differences in price between the official. Um, uh, dollar exchange rate um, uh, that, that that has come down. Um, whether that will um, th that that will um, return or not is is is, uh, is, is specifically difficult to um, to anticipate. I mean, we do know there have been reports. This isn't the same issue, but there have been reports around um, increasingly now. Um, one of the things uh, that's been reported. Uh, is that uh, people are trying to sort of uh, create fake exports so they can get dollars out of out of Iraq? Um, but um, yeah, that's um, sorry. That, that that's a that's a very um, 
uh, yeah, that, uh, I, I mean, they, they have happened in the past. They have actually been reduced. The, the, the dollar auction's profitability um, ha has been reduced because of that, uh, of the change in the official exchange rate, but it, it, could, it could come back. Now, it's a question about uh, Iranian interests in the Iraqi economy. So if we were looking for a, a local and fluid source of uh, international investment, it could come across and has indeed on certain instances come across from the larger economy next door. So what is your sense of um, the Iranian investment role in the Iraqi economy? And do you see Mustafa Qadri taking a more nationalistic approach to economic development in, in, in the country once he gets his feet under the desk properly as it were um gosh i mean i mean i mean i'm not i'm not a political analyst so i'm uh i i think it's uh it's difficult to answer that question uh, directly what i would say is is if you look at generally countries uh, that sort of find themselves uh um uh between uh, big powers that have a, both an economic uh, interest in in, uh, in in them, and obviously we know that um, Iran, you know, benefits quite significantly from um, uh, trade with um, Iraq, and and that gives it access to dollars. Um, you know, I I think again, without being a political analyst, that 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 you know, there's a strong incentive to make sure that that continues. Um, so I think it's going to be quite challenging to dislodge um, to, 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 to dislodge um, the the sort of the the relationship between Iran and Iraq economically because Iraq is in some ways a sort of um, um, partly an economic lung for for um, Iran and uh, you know that that's just going to be very difficult given Iranian influence on the ground that's going to be difficult to um, to, to to completely ignore or, or sideline. So now I want you said the the, the, the report ends optimistically, and I, I, I think it, it, it. I'm always accused of being pessimistic, so I was, I was very happy to read your policy uh, prescriptions. Uh, but uh, I think Tabash has come up with another argument here that I think is a just one. It says um, basically, if I'm doing damage to his question, I apologise. But what you're arguing for is small incremental changes on the fringes of an economy dominated by the state, the public sector, and the political uh, settlement. And what he's arguing is that you would need a, a major change to actually move this forward, given the crisis surrounding Iraq. And so minor changes won't plug the hole in the, the budget, won't deal with the demographic bulge before there'll be trouble on the streets. So this, do you really think the, the, the empowering of the private sector is one possible, which a lot of questions here have been circulating, but two will deliver in time? Yeah. So, um, so th there's no, there's no, there's no silver bullet here. Um, there's no, uh, no, no one thing or, or um, will, will, will focus on one sector will, will solve all these um, very complex problems. Um, I do think actually that there are, um, you know, things, things like actually banking reform, although it's, it's, it's not necessarily, again, it doesn't attack the political settlement directly. It doesn't have a big fiscal impact. So it doesn't immediately deal with, um, the uh, the fiscal crisis we we find ourselves in, um, but um, it, it it does actually it can we know from other contexts access to finance that can actually create lots of um, lots of jobs in the in in you know can it lead to job opportunities expanding quite quickly. Um, so it, it's possible even like um, sometimes some some of these narrow reforms can actually go a long way to create jobs. Now that doesn't solve the fact. That you still have unsustainable public finances, it doesn't solve the demographic problem, but it's one element of the of the of the solution. Um, I, I, I mean, I think I think, um, and, and again, it can soften the blow of the necessary kind of fiscal reforms or fiscal contraction that you that you um, fiscal retrenchment, not fiscal contraction, that you might need to to make. So it's not it's not arguing that it's the only thing, but in a context we're in, where you know the government is probably going to um, uh, embark on 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 fiscal um on fiscal retrenchment um because it has to because of the oil price um it, it's about thinking through what things can we do to 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 sort of make the the the, the likelihood that people have other opportunities um 
uh, more, more real. I mean, it's where we are and and um, and what we can do is 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 limited by these circumstances. Um, it'd be great if we could wave a magic wand and and uh, you know make make sure that um, more of the oil revenues went to investments because um, uh, that would create or 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 state capacity. But uh, how how can we do that? Been a lot of talk of integrating Iraq into much more fully into the the regional regional economies. Do you think that's likely? Do you think that would uh, his trip to Saudi Arabia might loosen up some investment or indeed some budget support from Riyadh? So, so obviously, um, I, I mean, um, any like um, I, I think uh, again, like um, regional integration is is potentially very good because again, it doesn't attack the. The sort of the the political settlement directly, but it, it can create other opportunities. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of pledges made in the I think about thirty billion dollars worth of pledges made at the Kuwait conference in two thousand and eighteen, um, including from from Saudi Arabia, uh, Kuwait, and the other um, Gulf countries um, that could be followed up on. Um, some of those. Um, pledges could, could could still be available. Um, obviously, there is the the, the, the current um, world economic crisis is is impacting the other Gulf countries, but that is, that is a set, certainly a, an area that could that could produce e, e, you know e, economic opportunities and returns, and especially investment in infrastructure that uh, that could that could have a, a positive impact uh, on uh, on Iraq. Excellent. Now we're we're coming into the last uh, the last stage of our questions and answers. So if you if you have any more uh, questions, uh, please send them in via the Q and A box on your screen. Uh, it's just Ruba's just said that of course Ali Alawi, Dr. Ali Alawi, uh, has been nominated by the new Muslim Academy, the new uh, Prime Minister, as his deputy in charge of economy and energy. And I know I don't know if you've seen. He wrote a long and very detailed, very academic paper on the drivers of corruption in Iraq that didn't mention the elite pact or the political settlement. So I think the first place you should go is to the Ministry of Finance with your paper when you get back to Baghdad to explain to him the political as opposed to the economic dynamics that are, are driving uh, this forward. Uh, and it is that distinction, I think, in in approaches to economic reform and indeed in North's work, and North I would describe as aridly rational and instrumental. And uh, I, I'm of uh, the firm belief that not many people kill people for uh, rational reasons. So I, I wonder how, as a political economist, as an economist, but someone who's interested in, and skilled in political economy, you deal with that kind of instrumental rationality bleaching out or ignoring the kind of ideological motivations, the irrational drivers of, of, of issues in Iraq or indeed anywhere. Um, thanks, Toby. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And um, uh, yeah, as a, as a sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's, who's schooled in, in rational choice, um, both from the political science and the e economic perspective, it's, it's, a, it's, some, it's, it's sometimes disconcerting to even try to think about, um, these things. I mean, I would say, um, uh, and again, there's a, there's, a, there's a big debate around um, how you can uh, integrate and whether that's successful ideational issues or, um, uh, you know, th 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 things like um, nationalism or um, uh, in-group belonging, how you can, you can link up uh, different uh, um, things that might motivate people to their what we would call um, very, very appealing me, people's subjective utility functions and, and, and what motivates them. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I think that, that, that's, a, that's a really big question. I, I guess what I, what I would say is, um, obviously the political settlement literature, I, I think the utility of the, of the model is it, it can help us explain some things. It doesn't explain all the variance in economic outcomes. There, there are other uh, approaches that are complementary to and, and and, and, and should be used and, and leave it at that sort of a high, high level um, cop out uh, of uh, discussing the sort of details, a very, very fascinating detailed uh, uh, methodological assumptions of the model, if, 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 you, if, you'll, if you'll let me get away with uh, an answer like that.